the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, good afternoon, and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing and engineering a portion of today's program. And Sam Moppin, well, he's doing the rest. He's mopping up. Okay, it wasn't very clever. Anyway, today on the program, we're going to share a conversation I had with Alan Jackson. He is a pastor and he's going to be the uh, speaker at the Pastors Appreciation Breakfast. That's coming up on when, no, Thursday, November the 3rd. Pastors and ministry leaders are invited to join us so that we can celebrate you and offer some encouragement. So we'll share that conversation I had with Pastor Jackson. And also in that hour, we'll take a look at the thinning veneer of civilization. Victor Davis Hansen wrote about it recently, and I thought it was very poignant given where we stand today in our culture. That's coming up in the the five o'clock hour. Well, taking a look at some of the day's headlines, the Internet exploded with reaction to Fetterman's flip-flop on fracking during the Oz debate. The first the two of them will have, while a significant number of ballots have already been cast in that state. On the Empire State of Crisis, Democrat New York Governor Hochul, she questioned why crime is so important to Zeldin in a fiery debate they had. Operation Tangled Web, a major child sex crimes and human trafficking bust, netted 16 suspects which is a reminder to us all that this is the underbelly of what's going on in various places around the country. Keep your eyes and ears open. Playing dodgeball, reporters say the White House press secretary continues to provide uninformative answers. As a slap in the face, J.D. Vance slammed Tim Ryan's pledge to decriminalize all drug possession. All. With a bullseye on his back, Justice Alito says... um, Uh, The still unresolved Supreme Court leak made him a target for assassination, him and his associates. In crossover voting, New York City moms are angered by failed Democrat dogma fueled by Lee Zeldin's surge in the state governor's race. Preparing for anarchy, state's residents are sounding the alarm on a law poised to handcuff police. Keith Pacow, the mayor of of, uh, Chicago suburb and a Republican congressional candidate, has called Illinois' Safety Act the most dangerous law he's ever seen. He said it could potentially spiral out of control relatively quickly. The Safety Act, which will go into effect January 1st, overhauls Illinois' justice justice system with provisions like ending cash bail and implementing a higher standard on when a defendant can be detained for several crimes, including second-degree murder, aggravated battery, arson, and kidnapping. It also forbids police from physically removing nonviolent trespassers. Off the rails, a possible nationwide strike for union rail workers unhappy with the new contract proposals is looming. And in a frank assessment, Al Franken criticized his own party's inflation response and worries the midterms are tending uh, trending badly. In other words, for the other party in something of a mess, the progressive caucus is being mocked for retracing a uh, retracting rather a letter uh, signaling support for peace talks with Russia. 
Tucker Carlson points out that it's not election denial when the Democrat Party does it. And there's a rather lengthy article on that subject, which is worth reading. A New York City a judge has ruled the vaccine mandate for city employees is unconstitutional at the city after rather the city fired nearly 2000 people. Unvaccinated New York City workers scored a victory on Monday after the New York Supreme Court judge ruled the city's vaccine mandate for all city employees is arbitrary, capricious and unconstitutional. The Internal Revenue Service has raised the amount that Americans can set aside for retirement in their 401k and other tax deferred plans next year. Beginning in 2023, workers will be allowed to contribute up to $22,500 to their 401k, an increase of $2,000 or about 9.8%, the biggest jump since 2007 when the limit was $1,500. Well, the IRS uh, make such cost of living adjustments annually, but the, of uh, in time of painful high inflation, the increase is more significant and impactful for taxpayers. The government reported last week that the Consumer Price Index, which measures, measures rather a basket of everyday goods, rose by 8.2 percent in September, much more quickly than expected. Core prices, excluding gasoline and food, jumped by 6.6 percent, the fastest since 1982. Meanwhile, Elon Musk is preparing to finalize the Twitter deal on Friday. Musk has notified co-investors who committed to help fund his $44 billion acquisition of Twitter that he plans to um, close his buyout of the social media firm by Friday, according to a person familiar with the matter. Equity investors, including Sequoia Capital, Binance, Gutter um, Investment Authority and others, have received the uh, requisite paperwork for the financing commitment from Musk's lawyers. The New York Post reports that the move is the clearest sign yet that Musk plans to comply with the Delaware court judge decline um, a deadline rather to complete the transaction by Friday. Well, Herschel Walker has taken uh, back the lead in the polls over incumbent Democrat Raphael Warnock, although this morning I saw another poll that suggested otherwise. Uh, But Georgia Republican Senate candidate Walker has reclaimed the lead in his electoral contest with a Democratic senator. Walker initially began to emerge as the front runner in the Senate race as early as September, though his polling numbers dipped following allegations that he previously paid for an abortion, a claim he denies. Well, just recently, as of yesterday, another woman says he drove her to her abortion. So whether or not that will play a role in the polls remains to be seen. Well, Walker faced off with Warnock on the debate stage last week, after which polls emerged showing he reclaimed ground in his race. Walker leads Warnock 48.9% to 46.5%. But as I mentioned, that may have changed as recently as this morning. Another poll shows Democrat priorities are not shared by most Americans. Life News reports that another new poll reflects just how out of touch the president is with the American people. While Americans grow increasingly concerned about inflation, crime and secure borders, the president and his party have been prioritizing abortion on demand leading up to the November election. Abortion came in at number six on the list. Newsweek says 46 percent of respondents identified inflation as their priority, followed by issues related to elections and voting at 38 percent, crime at 37 percent, immigration, 34 percent, jobs and unemployment, 32 percent, abortion at 30 percent, racial inequality at 25 percent, gun control, 24 percent and climate change at 23 percent. 
New York Governor Hochul's soft-on-crime policies could be her undoing in the midterm election. New York Governor Kathy Hochul dismissed her state's crime wave as a few high-profile instances, even as crime in New York City spiked 15.2 percent in the last year. Hochul, the current governor, said Monday these few incidents have created a sense of fear in people's minds. Well, yes. Yet the most recent New York City Police Department data show a 22.7 percent increase in burglary and a 21.5 percent increase in grand larceny auto last month compared to a year ago. The New York Post weighs in, saying even some Democrats elected officials are starting to grumble about the governor's telling voters she worked to change bail laws as Republican challenger Representative Lee Zeldin breathes down her neck in the final two weeks of the campaign. When she had the power to really address these things to make New York safe, she didn't, one Democratic state senator told The Post. Lee Zeldin and Kathy Hochul's debate was largely a referendum on her and her predecessor, uh, crime policies. On Tuesday, the uh, pair met to debate on the one debate she agreed to, although Zeldin called for several more debates. Representative Zeldin, in his opening statement, referenced the rising crime in New York, as has been a campaign focus of his. In her opening statement, the governor tied crime to gun control, which he would uh, keep doing uh, throughout the debate. RNC Research says Zeldin slammed the, the his opponent, her pro-criminal policies, for wreaking havoc, havoc in New York. Uh, We can continue with the status quo where they believe they haven't uh, passed enough pro-criminal laws or we can make sure law-abiding New Yorkers are in charge of the streets again. Dr. Mehmet Oz and John Fetterman debated with uh, nearly half of Pennsylvania's ballots already submitted. People will want to change their vote, some suggest, after experiencing the debate. Um, Candidate uh, Fetterman and uh, Oz. Spencer Brown says on Tuesday night, Mehmet Oz and John Fetterman finally met to debate after the Fetterman campaign tried to avoid debating Oz, then finally folded under immense pressure from all sides of the political spectrum. The Wall Street Journal reports that remarkably, though, almost half of the mail ballots requested in Pennsylvania have already been cast and returned. As of Tuesday, officials had received 635,428 mail ballots out of 1,310,189 that voters originally requested. That's 48%. Town Hall weighs in, saying unbelievably, moments after being read his own quote saying, I don't support fracking at all, John Fetterman says, I've always supported fracking. And CNN, the comments are part of a long and often contradictory series of positions from the Senate candidate on the industry. Uh, Fetterman's uh, message about the industry has uh, often depended on his audience, and he has attempted a balancing act. Well, the Southern California school board race has gotten contentious after the uh, revelation of the scandalous sex ed curriculum. Well, the um, the school district is one of many national hotspots where parents are standing up against child sexualization in public schools. Fathers and mothers in places like Loudoun County, Pennsylvania, Colorado and Fairfax, Virginia, are pushing back hard against school boards bent on actively promoting deviant sexualities, self-mutilation via gender transition surgeries and so-called gender identity to young children against the wishes of their parents. A concerned father reached out to... Um, uh, express his views against the uh, uh, and uh, to offer rather a voice of reason. I have two students in the district in my niece and nephew. So I answered the call and he's trying to make a difference there as are many parents. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice show. We need to take a quick break and we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Just a reminder, coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, a conversation with Alan Jackson. He is a pastor and will be the featured speaker at the upcoming Pastor Appreciation Breakfast. By the way, if you plan on joining us, you need to go to kpdq.com and make your reservation. It's free of charge. We have until Friday to make uh, your desire to join us known. So I hope to see you there. Well, the new British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak calls China the greatest threat to the world. He vows support for Ukraine. The Washington Times reports that Britain's new prime minister says that China poses the largest threat to the country and has outlined plans to shut down controversial Chinese cultural institutes that critics say are used to promote Beijing propaganda and influence activities. The former Treasury chief of 42 uh, became the youngest prime minister in modern British history Tuesday following the resignation of conservative prime minister Liz Truss. Last week, the prime minister, the current, promised his Ukrainian counterpart, Volodymyr Zelensky, on a call that the U.K.'s support for Ukraine would be steadfast and as strong as ever under his premiership, a Downing Street spokesperson has said. Well, Brittany Griner's appeal for more lenient sentencing on drug possession has been denied in Russia. The Russian court rejected her appeal of her nine year sentence, her prison sentence for drug possession on Tuesday. The court ruled that um, rolled rather to uphold the sentence handed down by the w- to the WNPA uh, superstar. However, in the ruling, the court stated that the time Griner will have to serve in prison will be recalculated. Uh, with her time in pretrial detention taken into account. One day in pretrial detention uh, will count for 1.5 days in prison, which means Griner will serve around eight years in prison unless the U.S. and Russia come to an agreement on a potential prisoner swap in the future. Under Russian law, the charge carried a penalty of up to 10 years in prison. In August, she was found guilty and sentenced to nine years. She was also ordered to pay a million rubles, approximately $16,301. And false allegation of voter suppression in Georgia has been proved wrong. The president labeled Georgia's recent election law Jim Crow 2.0. But the Peach State has had record early voter turnout just two weeks out from Election Day. Undeterred by facts, the White House and some gubernatorial candidates, including Stacey Abrams, continue to peddle the verifiably false narrative of voter suppression. Indeed, it has become clownish uh, the way they continue to press its voter suppression talking point, as was demonstrated by Press Secretary Karen Jean-Pierre on uh, yesterday, asserting that high turnout and voter suppression can be uh, happening at the same time. Hmm. Well, the Department of Energy plans to require a woke initiative for all research grants. Any researcher seeking grants from the Department of Energy will be required to submit a diversity, equity and inclusion initiative if they want to receive funding. Following the Biden administration's peer uh, program or plan promoting inclusive and equitable research, the Department of Energy's Office of Science has embraced the woke agenda over and against doing good science. The Office of Science is the leading and largest federal sponsor of scientific research in the country and is tasked with seeking to advance U.S. energy, economic and national security interests. The peer plan effectively affixes a woke quota system in which racial diversity is elevated over individual skill and merit. The peer plan calls for the enhanced recruitment of individuals uh, from diverse backgrounds, regardless of performance. Research grant applicants or applications that fail to include a peer plan will be considered an incomplete application and will be evaluated. So irrespective of the scientific merits of a researcher's grant application, if the woke criteria is not met, the application won't even be considered. How does this actually advance good scientific research and development? Well, obviously it doesn't. And I say that believing that there are 
significant numbers of minority scientists who would do quite well under the the merit system that we currently have in place. Why did the U.S. give revolutionary battery technology to China? Well, that's a question currently being asked. Ten years ago, a group of American engineers working in federal government lab in Washington state developed revolutionary and promising new technology known as the uh, vanadium redux flow battery. Well, the new tech promised to be the, the next big step in batteries. They were the size of a refrigerator, could store enough energy to power a house, and could be used for 30 years without losing their storage capacity. Well, rather than an American company getting the license from the U.S. government to use this new technology to manufacture batteries. However, it went to China. American taxpayers paid $15 million for the research, and U.S. government officials effectively gave it away to a Chinese-based company despite licensing rules that should have prevented this loss of American-developed technology. Well, China has taken the lead in manufacturing and further developing this breakthrough battery technology. Florida Republican Senator Marco Rubio and Rick Scott sent a letter to the U.S. Department of Energy seeking more information as to how this failure to protect vital American technology was allowed to occur and, worse, benefit our nation's biggest geopolitical foe. Well, abortion is the seventh ranking issue for Hispanic voters, and Hillary Clinton says the GOP has a plan to literally steal the 2024 election. Sounds kind of like, I don't know, Donald Trump. Progressives withdrew a letter urging President Biden to negotiate with Putin, saying it, uh, its release was a mistake. And Elon Musk tells bankers he plans to close the Twitter deal on Friday. Well, parents in Indiana have lost custody of their kids because a court ruled the failure to affirm their child's gender identity was abuse. Now, think about that for a moment. A child decides he or she wants to do something counter to their own biology and against their own parents' advice. And the parents lost uh, custody of that child for failure to affirm that child's gender identity. They were deemed abusive parents. In a moment of satire, the CDC adds declining math, English scores uh, to the list of COVID symptoms. It actually fits, does it not? Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Want to uh, remind you that discovering the Jewish Jesus, God's seven holy days, is available on True Talk 800. They're launching Discovering the Jewish Jesus, and we'd love for you to sit in. You can visit truetalk800.com to request your free download of God's Seven Holy Days, a comprehensive guide to understanding the fall holy days and how Jesus fulfills them. Learn how the seven holy days of the Old Testament relate to Jesus and what they mean for you today. Again, Discover the Jewish Jesus airs 1030 weekday mornings and again at 9 p.m. on True Talk 800. AM, our sister station. Well, Justice Alito says that the Roe decision leak made us targets for assassination. Well, the leaker of the draft Supreme Court opinion indicating that Roe versus Wade would be overturned made the conservative justices targets for assassination, he said on Tuesday. The uh, justice discussed his legal career Tuesday evening at the Heritage Foundation before weighing in on the unprecedented leak, one that sparked protests throughout the country, attacks on scores of pro-life centers and faith-based institutions nationwide, including churches, and even an assassination attempt on Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. It was a shock because nothing like it had happened in the past, Alito said of the leak. So it certainly changed the atmosphere at the court for the remainder of last term. The leak also made those of us who were thought to be in the majority 
in support of overruling Roe and Casey targets for assassination because it gave people a rational reason to think they could prevent this from happening by killing one of us. Alito was referring to 26-year-old Nicholas Rosk, who traveled across the country armed with weapons and burglary tools to Kavanaugh's neighborhood. He told authorities that he did not did so with the intent to kill Kavanaugh and prevent him from ruling on abortion and Second Amendment cases. We know that a man has been charged with attempting to kill Justice Kavanaugh, Alito said. It's a pending case, so I won't say anything more about that. Uh, That was uh, last term, the justice noted. Now everyone wants things to be back to normal. During my 16 years on the court, he went on to say, the justices have always gotten along very well, he added. On a personal level, I think the public, when they read our opinions, probably misses that. You can see by reading those opinions, we sometimes disagree pretty passionately about the law, Alito continued. And we have not in recent years been all that uh, restrained about the times in which we express our disagreements. I'm as guilty as others probably on this score, but none of that is personal. And that is something that I think I wish the public understood. Well, Rosk uh, was charged with attempting to murder a justice of the United States, specifically an associate justice of the Supreme Court. And according to the one count indictment and the other court documents on June 8th, 2022, Ross contended to kill an associate justice of the Supreme Court. The Justice Department said in that release, well, court documents allege that Rosk traveled from California to Maryland, intending to kill the Supreme Court justice, arriving at the residence of a current justice of the Supreme Court in the early morning hours of June 8th, 2022. The indictment includes a forfeiture allegation seeking the forfeiture of a firearm, two magazines loaded with 10 rounds each of nine millimeter uh, millimeter ammunition, 17 rounds of ammunition contained in a plastic bag, a black speed loader and additional items allegedly intended to be used in the commission of the crime. Again, the Justice Department uh, release continued. If he is convicted, Rosk faces a maximum sentence of life in prison for attempting to assassinate a justice and that investigation has failed to identify the source of that leak. Well, graft and corruption are just for elected aren't just for elected officials anymore. One of the unintended consequences of the incessant growth of the federal bureaucracy is the spread of illegal activity. Now, we've long known that uh, the culture inside the Beltway instills uh, in federal employees a bulletproof sense of entitlement, especially among the political class. But a recent investigation across 50 federal agencies makes this even more apparent. That investigation conducted by the Wall Street Journal revealed that federal officials in the executive branch have improperly profited from their jobs. Frankly, we're not shocked, um, but that's the case. Uh, This, though, is not the tale of a few crooked bureaucrats. The journal's investigation found more than twenty six hundred federal officials in a host of agencies in both Republican and Democrat administrations who disclosed stock investments and companies that were lobbying their agencies or were subject to their agency's regulation. Now, this accounts for approximately one in five senior officials in the 50 federal agencies the journal investigated. And they only investigated 50. The activities were not isolated. During the push for tougher regulation on big tech, more than 1,800 federal officials reported owning or trade um, trading stocks in Meta, Facebook's parent, Alphabet, Google's parent, Apple and Amazon. More than 60 officials at the FTC, Justice Department and elsewhere, reported training stocks in companies shortly before enforcement actions were announced against them. 
A senior EPA advisor reported owning oil and gas stocks while former President Donald Trump was working to shift the country toward energy independence. A Defense Department official purchased Lockheed Martin stock before the government's uh, F-35 Lightning II a joint strike fighter deal was announced, and it goes on. There are several factors that have allowed this behavior to flourish. Rarely have we ever taken much notice of the bureaucracy and the civil servant corps. Whether it's uh, uh, be facts or stereotypes, we tend to pay more attention to Congress and the presidency when it comes to corruption. Rules or lack of them also make it difficult to track what goes on in the bureaucracy. Now, most official disclosures rather, are only available upon request, and some agencies either stonewall such requests or they ignore them outright. Dollar amounts that trigger disclosure are also woefully out of step with the laws. Federal regulations, for example, don't consider individual stock investments of less than $15,000 or mutual fund uh, holdings in a specific industry of less than $50,000 to be of any concern. Now, these thresholds can be easily met by merely diversifying portfolios, which is a golden rule of investing in any event. In some instances, agencies don't even have rules governing their employees' investments, and those who do break rules um, often receive light punishment, if any at all. And while the Journal took pains to point out that both Democrats and Republicans are at fault, it's reasonable to assume that the um, spending is disproportionately uh, involved in graft since um, the vast majority of, of the federal workforce represents one side of the political ledger. Like-minded agency regulators are by nature unlikely to prosecute their own. Well, then there's the general sense of entitlement that pervades the federal bureaucracy. The more isolated these uh, individuals become from the rest of us, the more they believe in the virtue of public service and the more they believe they deserve an extra slice of the um, of the pie as compensation for all they do supposedly on behalf of the country. Clearly, those uh, those folks need to be brought out into the light, which is what the Wall Street Journal did. Now, is it likely to spur any kind of an investigation or change? Well, the truth is, it's not very likely. Meanwhile, in other news, Republican Senators Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson, they're sharing with the U.S. attorney leading the criminal investigation into Hunter Biden more than 200 pages of bank records related to his and the Biden family's alleged connections to the Chinese regime and persons connected to its military and intelligence elements. Well, Fox News Digital independently reviewed the bank records Grassley and Johnson obtained throughout the course of their investigation into Hunter Biden's business dealings. The more than 200 pages of records come from Cathay Bank, the oldest operating bank in the United States founded by Chinese Americans. Now, Grassley and Johnson obtained the records from a U.S. bank in the course of their investigation into Hunter Biden's business dealings. And the records reveal transactions between Hunter Biden linked business entities and Chinese energy firm CEFC, which reportedly had ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Now, some of those transactions were previously revealed in Grassley and Johnson's 2022, or rather 20. 20 report, which they say showed that the Biden family's extensive links to foreign governments and questionable foreign nationals posed counterintelligence and extortion concerns. Well, Grassley and Johnson have been sounding the alarm on these business transactions with China linked associates, uh, CEFC chairman. Uh, which resulted in millions of dollars in questionable transactions. Well, in a letter, Grassley and Johnson wrote to U.S. Attorney for Delaware, David Weiss, exclusively obtained by Fox News. The GOP senators notified him of hundreds of pages of records and slammed him and the Justice Department uh, for ignoring their attempts to ensure that the criminal probe into Hunter Biden is thorough and free from political interference. 
Weiss is leading the probe into Hunter Biden. Well, today, and I'm quoting, in light of uh, your and the Department of Justice's failure to respond to our legitimate congressional oversight requests, and as part of our ongoing congressional investigation, we are transmitting to you over 200 pages of records related to the Biden family's connections to the Chinese regimes and persons connected to its military and intelligence elements, they wrote. Well, the two senators provided records that they said include more than 100 pages of unredacted and previously unreleased bank records relating to one of Hunter Biden's businesses, Hudson West III. If you are conducting a full and complete investigation, you should already possess these records, they wrote. In the case that you are not and do not possess these records, we suggest that you review them in detail. Another letter and production of bank records to Weiss and appoint, uh, appointee of former President Trump comes as federal investigators are weighing whether to charge Hunter Biden with various tax and foreign lobbying violations, false statements and more. And we'll continue to follow that story as it invariably will develop. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, President Joe Biden's administration is refusing to address why it's focusing uh, efforts on arresting pro-life activists amid national outcry over dozens of attacks on pro-life centers and churches. At least 86 churches, 74 pregnancy resource centers and pro-life organizations have been attacked since the May leak of the draft of the Supreme Court opinion overturning Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade. Uh, many of these buildings have been vandalized with threats such as if abortions aren't safe, neither are you. Well, the FBI has said that it's investigating attacks targeting pregnancy resource centers, faith based organizations and reproductive health clinics across the country as potential acts of domestic violent extremism, potential acts, um, uh, violence, uh, violations of the law and crime matters, but the Bureau has apparently not arrested anyone in connection with the attacks on pro-life centers and churches. Meanwhile, the Justice Department has charged at least 13 individuals with violations of the FACE Act since the beginning of October. Those include Mark Houck, a pro-life activist and Catholic father of 11, accused of pushing a pro-abortion volunteer while praying outside an abortion clinic. Houck has said the volunteer was harassing his young son. And though the White House uh, condemned violent threats and vandalism amid pro-abortion protests this summer, uh, the White House Deputy Press Secretary uh, wouldn't address the refusal of the Justice Department and the FD- FBI to share whether any arrests have been made for the scores of attacks and referred the Daily Signal to the Justice Department. Well, Bates also pointed to White House Press Secretary Jean-Pierre's previous remarks, citing the Justice Department's complete independence from the White House, noting she said many times the Department of Justice is independent when it comes to investigations. In other words, we're not going to talk about it. Well, the Justice Department has not addressed many requests for comment from the Daily Signal or other sources regarding Republican accusations of the administration selectively enforcing the FACE Act against pro-life activities. But the uh, press for information continues. Meanwhile, Kristen Clark, the assistant attorney general for civil rights at the Department of Justice, is a vocal abortion proponent who has repeatedly expressed her support for preserving Roe versus Wade. She also oversees investigations into violations of the Freedom of Access to Clinics Entrance Act, which she has used to charge 26 pro-life individuals this year. Some are citing her oversight as the reason why churches and pro-life organizations are not, um, I should say, violence against such 
uh, organizations are not being investigated. It appears uh, she's violating her oath of office and she's violating her duty, which is to fairly administer the law. Regardless of political views, that's a former acting assistant attorney general for civil rights in the Trump administration. Uh, She appears only to be prosecuting groups that she doesn't like, doesn't agree with. That appears to be the case. We hope that more information emerges, that perhaps there's more going on than uh, the public is aware of. It's doubtful, but one can certainly hope. Well, parent complaints continue to rush in following a Utah law ban on allegedly pornographic or indecent content in K through 12 public school libraries, chalking up a total of 280 removal requests since the policy took effect in May. The numbers provide a first glimpse at how the controversial law on sensitive materials in schools is playing out. One author, Courtney Tanner, wrote in the Salt Lake Tribune on Monday, well, the Republican black backed policy that instructs school systems to remove books containing inappropriate content written or illustrated from libraries and classrooms garnered criticism for alleged censorship and followed suit of a wave of conservative parental concerns over allegedly a pornographic or mature themed books found in public schools across America. But the state's deputy superintendent says the incidents reported across districts in Utah are exclusive to junior high and high schools. I read a lot of uh, press that we're banning books or we're burning books, said Senator John Johnson, a Republican out of Utah, who supported the policy, according to the Tribune. But I really feel strongly that we have an obligation to protect the innocence of children. Well, 84 of the titles that parents lashed out against were removed from their respective school libraries, while 63 others were placed behind the counter, requiring students to be to get parental permission to check out the books, according to the Tribune. Well, Asia experts are sounding the alarm over what the world can expect during Chinese President Xi Jinping's next five years in office after the Communist Party leaders uh, secured a third term in Beijing on Sunday. We can expect the trajectory of the next 10 years to continue. Expect that Xi will be uh, even bolder and more confident. The U.S.-China relationship will probably become even more tense in the coming years. That's a prediction from Michael Cunningham, whose research at the Heritage Foundation's Asia Study Center focusing on China told the Daily Signal on Monday. Xi's more explicit challenge to U.S. global influence and to the international system and his attempts to expand China's international influence, especially in the developing world, will continue. He added the abrasive wolf warrior style diplomacy likely will continue to be a feature of China's foreign policy. The one silver lining to all of this is that Xi's more aggressive approach to domestic governance and foreign policy will continue to alienate its neighbors and peers and offer opportunities for the U.S. to build coalitions of like-minded companies, uh, countries. rather. Well, the Chinese Communist Party also announced the new lineup of the powerful Politburo Standing Committee, the seven-man apex policymaking committee for the Communist Party. Members of the Politburo Standing Committee include previous members, uh, but uh, there are some new members as well. Xi Jinping, who will now have uh, will not have to deal with opposing views, is going to take China into an even darker era. It's predicted it's time for us to get ready for what Xi's uh, last Sunday called dangerous storms. Gordon Chang, the author of the great U.S. China tech war, said in a tweet on the same subject. Richard McGregor, a senior fellow at the Lowry Institute in Sydney, told Reuters, 
All of Xi's rivals, potential and real, have been forced out of the Politburo. Standing Committee and Xi's loyalists took their place. The new Politburo is an emphatic statement of Xi's dominance over the party. Well, two members of the previous Politburo Standing Committee, the Premier um, and uh, two of uh, Communist Party's uh, Vice Premier, were not named as members of the new Standing Committee. Power will be even more concentrated in the hands of Xi Jinping. Um, it's been predicted the Chinese uh, politics expert and, at Hong Kong Baptist University told the Associated Press there is no counterweight or checks and balances in the system at all. Well, the Chinese Communist Party also selected its Politburo on Sunday. The 24-member governing body, uh, body consists of only men, the first time in more than 20 years, according to the Wall Street Journal. This suggests that Xi is far more interested in consolidating his power base by staffing the Politburo with his protégés and uh, supporters than giving female representation. Lynette Ong, a China scholar and political science professor at the University of Toronto, told Bloomberg. Well, China has taken a step backward in advancing women's political representation and rights, Ong went on to say. Well, the week-long meeting of the 20th Communist Party Congress, which assembles only twice a decade, ended a day earlier on Saturday when more than 2,000 delegates elected a central committee of 205 people, 11 of whom were women. The central committee is responsible for Chinese policymaking throughout the next five years. The new central committee includes Foreign Minister Wang Yi, who was appointed to the Politburo on Sunday, among others whose names would not be very meaningful to most of us. Xi also told the nearly 2,400 delegates in attendance that the goals of unifying thinking, fortifying confidence, charting the course and boosting morale have been realized by the Communist Party Congress, according to the local news agency. This has been a Congress of holding our banner high, pooling our strength and promoting solidarity and dedication. Well, the Chinese Communist Party also amended its constitution during the week, which further strengthens Xi's power. It will be an interesting next few years, and many are suggesting we should be prepared for the possibility that China will overtake Taiwan or at least make the effort before the year is out or in 20 uh, before 2024. All right, we're going to uh, take a break. We've got news and traffic coming at the top of the hour. And when we return, a conversation with Pastor Alan Jackson. He is going to be the featured pastor at the uh, Appreciation Breakfast coming up next Thursday. So check it out. Also, we'll take a look at the thinning veneer of civilization, which, according to Victor Davis Hansen, is a concern we all ought to share. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, living in a time of global uncertainty, economic instability, and extreme political division, it's left us feeling weary and discouraged. But God has not abandoned his people or his purpose. Well, in his latest book, Big Trouble Ahead, Pastor Alan Jackson reminds us that even when the world around us is shaking, God's kingdom remains unshakable. As Christians, we can hold tight to the gospel and decipher the gathering storm clouds through the lens of Scripture. As you uh, read uh, Pastor Jackson's book in exploring recent world events in light of biblical and historical realities, you'll realize you can flourish as a believer um, so that you're part of uh, the church that is standing and respond to the news, social media, friends with confidence and peace and be encouraged that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Well, Pastor Alan Jackson and his wife, Kathy, live uh, near Nashville, Tennessee, where they have uh, served 
as senior pastor of World Outreach Church since 1989. Under his leadership, the church has grown from less than 30 people to more than 15,000. His mission is to help people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus, and his biblical messages now reach and encourage countless people through Alan Jackson Ministries. He joins us today to talk about his latest book, Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. Pastor, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's good to be with you, Georgine. Thank you. You uh, characterize so well in the book the challenges that we face, and they tend to overwhelm us, but you put them in the context that every believer should be um, comfortable and familiar with. You put them in the context of Scripture so that we recognize, first of all, what Jesus said to expect and what's happening in our time. Uh, You state in the book, again, Big Trouble Ahead, that the 2020 Easter service at your church was really something of a wake-up call. Can you describe that service uh, and how it communicated something to you that hadn't dawned on you up to that point? I I can. It was was really a shocking day for me. I had always rather said, said rather pridefully, that we would have church no matter what happened. You know, we live in Tennessee, and if it snows in Kentucky, we close our schools here in Tennessee. So, you know, I would talk about inclement weather and say, no matter what the weather is, we'll have church. But then when the pandemic, we heard about the virus from Wuhan, we were closed for six weeks. And that Easter Sunday, I was standing in an empty room. I still hadn't sorted out what to do with all that. So I wore my suit and tie and stood in an empty room and looked at a little red light at the back of the room, talking to people that were sitting at home on their sofa in their pajamas. And I realized I had been leading a rather presumptive life. And so I began to rethink my approach to what we did and to reevaluate the privilege of gathering with God's people. And and we really walked out of that season with a different attitude and a different plan for the future. But it began with changes in our own hearts. Well, it was a very sobering season for many of us. And in fact, you refer to COVID-19 as a tremor, a foreshock of the challenges ahead. What what can we gain in terms of our understanding of what's coming in light of what we've just been through? Well, I think to understand, you know, the first messaging we got was that if we would go home for two weeks and shelter in place, we could flatten the curve and go back to normal. So three weeks into this, we realized that the messaging we had was inadequate. That's unsettling and uncomfortable. But at that point, we realized we're going to have to begin to watch and look and think for ourselves. And the bigger picture to me was that this is about far more than a pandemic. You know, we're two and a half years later now, and lawlessness has increased. Violence has increased. Uh, Our borders are still open. We have so many challenges from supply chain issues to global challenges of unrest um, to rising fuel prices. I mean, the, the chaos and the confusion, the misinformation or the disinformation, the censorship, the propaganda, This is about far more than a virus, and we're navigating a new landscape. But I also believe that God is moving in some very, very unique ways, and there are opportunities that we didn't recognize three years ago. So we have to decide whether we're going to be frightened or angry because there's been a change in the world around us, or we can see the opportunities and imagine a better future. And I'm going to vote for a better future. Amen. You write about uh, and offer some examples of deception and misinformation that flooded society then and continues to do so right now. Uh, Do you think COVID um, increased misinformation or just exposed what was already going on? 
Yeah, I think probably a little bit of both, but more than anything, I think for me at least, I was awakened to what was happening. Maybe we were distracted by our pursuit of comfort and convenience, and as long as we were comfortable and had the things that we wanted, we just didn't look at the inconvenient, uncomfortable things. But the truth is, disinformation has been growing for a long time. Uh, I, I think we're seeing censorship in unprecedented ways. Some of our new communications platforms have made that much simpler and easier. You know, I remember the days when the ACLU would defend the, the most heinous forms mm-hmm. of speech under the sense of that First Amendment. And they seem to have lost the momentum of doing that in the current season. But so some things I think are new, but in reality, much of what we're seeing in the public square today, I was hearing in the university settings decades ago. It's just made its way all the way down into our elementary schools now. And I think it's really good news. You can't get to a better outcome until you get an accurate diagnosis. And I think the awakening that's taking place about the reality of our circumstances is going to help us navigate a better future. That was one of the byproducts of the uh, the lockdown is that parents, perhaps for the first time, had an up-close and personal view of what their children were being taught or what they weren't being taught. And that was eye-opening. That was one area that um, the uh, the lockdown exposed, but I think it was an awakening in other areas as well. It was, and it's an area where I'm a bit embarrassed, to be honest. You know, I, I stepped out of some places with my biblical worldview because we were told that it wasn't appropriate for them to be there, whether it was our children's classrooms or some academic settings or corporate boardrooms. We were told that a Judeo-Christian worldview shouldn't be in, introduced into those places. And yet we find ourselves today where corporate boardrooms are very aggressively pushing a worldview issue to, I mean, to the point that they will relocate the all-star game for baseball or all sorts of corporate boardrooms have opinions about social systems. Well, those are just worldview opinions. Well, at this point now, I'm embarrassed that I took my Christian worldview and stepped aside. We have every bit as much of a right to have a voice in those public places as any other worldview does. And I think the Christians are going to have to wake up a bit. We don't want to be angry. We certainly don't want to be belligerent and absolutely not violent. But we have a place in the public square. And I think we abandoned it in the name of maybe tolerance or inclusivity. And I don't want to be less tolerant or less inclusive, but I certainly want a place at the table and a voice in the discussion. How could our churches have been uh, caught so unprepared? If we are familiar with the scriptures, we know that every generation will face uh, challenges. How could we be so unprepared or misinterpret uh, current events in such a way that we did not assume our rightful place of some influence and perhaps help during uh, this particular season and those that will follow? That is a very good question. And, and for me to understand that, I have to look back a little bit, because I, I don't think our circumstance is unusual. Jesus told the disciples in the plainest of language what would happen when they arrived in Jerusalem, and yet they were caught completely off guard. It was outside the realm of their expectation or their imagination. The same has happened to the church throughout history. You know, I have lived in Israel and studied at the university, at Hebrew University, and I, I spent a lot of time in the Holocaust Museum. I have heard hundreds of interviews with survivors of the Holocaust, and they all begin with a very similar statement. I just couldn't believe that they would come for me, or I couldn't believe they would have that attitude towards me. And I think it's so easy to get engaged in a culture and take our eyes off the counsel we have from Scripture. 
And I think we've been a little guilty of that, but we're not the first generation to do that. The story of the Bible and the story of church history is about this consistent challenge for the people of God that we drift off course, and then we have to be awakened and be brought back to center. And then I think we have the privilege of being one of those generations now who are in the midst of an awakening. It's awkward, it's uncomfortable, but it's hopeful because there's a better future for us. I love that the subtitle of your book is A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. I think that for many of us in the church who know the scriptures, or at least somewhat, we have forgotten that flourishing is part of our future, even in the midst of the challenges that we face today and the challenges that are coming. Absolutely. Our future isn't secured by Wall Street or by the strength of the dollar. We don't need a 51% majority in order for the will of God or the purposes of God to go forward. What is essential is the hearts of God's people. Our problems do not stem from the depravity of the wicked. The challenges we face emerge from the indifference of the faithful. And if we will adjust our hearts and humble ourselves, I am quite confident that the creator of heaven and earth has a good plan for our future and we can trust him. Amen. We're talking with Pastor Alan Jackson. Uh, He is the author of the latest book, Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Pastor Alan Jackson. He and his wife live near Nashville, Tennessee, where he served as senior pastor at World Outreach Church since 1989. His mission has been to help people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, and his biblical messages now reach and encourage countless people through Alan Jackson Ministries. He is, in fact, going to be the speaker at our a pastor's appreciation breakfast that's coming up November the 3rd. And we'll give you more details as we draw nearer to that event um, here on the program as well. Well, Pastor Allen, um, you break down the Lord's Prayer line by line in the uh, chapter when you discuss the fundamentals of our faith. Is that where we begin with the fundamentals and understanding uh, the ground upon which we stand? I believe so. You know, I think in any endeavor, whether it's athletics or cooking or business or in our faith, the fundamentals really are the essentials if we're going to have meaningful success. And in Christianity, I think we've been distracted a bit. We've imagined to think it was about our style of worship or the translation of the Bible we read or the architecture of the building where we gather or something. And all of those things have a place, and we're certainly allowed to have a preference. But the fundamentals matter. When Jesus taught us to pray, He said he taught us to pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not going to be done in the abstract. God's will being expressed in the earth is going to be expressed through his people. So when we pray that, we're praying for personal transformation. It's a personal mission statement. We're not really asking God to change the ungodly. We're asking him to enable us to be expressions of his will in the earth. To me, that feels like a big assignment, but it is essential. And I have to decide that that's important. I have to intend for that to happen. And so, again, I think what we're walking through is more about a wake-up call for the people of God, that we will see His will done in the earth. And if we'll commit ourselves to that, I think it will be a most remarkable outcome. Is there a phrase in that prayer that you think most Christians either misunderstand or should revisit to fully understand what it is that God is calling us to? Well, I don't know if it's misunderstood. I'll tell you a phrase in there that gives me difficulty when he said to give me today my daily bread. 
I understand the meaning of those words, but what I would really like is all the bread I'm ever going to need for all of my days. And I'd like the key to the warehouse so I can go walk (laughs) around it and see what my future looks like. That invitation to trust God on a daily basis, for some reason, is uncomfortable. And I think it's an essential part of stability in our lives and having peace in our hearts is knowing exactly who it is that secures our future and why. And I think trusting God is probably a better path than trusting politicians or political parties or governments. I'm not opposed to any of those things, but the Lord is a more secure point of focus for our future. And I think that prayer is a wonderful invitation back to a better center point. Absolutely. I'm so grateful for God's word. Can you talk a little bit about how we benefit as believers, specifically from the Holy Spirit? Mm, I can. When Jesus was getting ready to leave, you know, he had recruited his disciples. He said, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And they did. They walked away. They completely reordered their lives to follow Jesus. And they got three years into that adventure, and he sat down with them one day, and he said, I'm leaving. And where I'm going, you can't come. And they just about lost their minds. I mean, this was not the nature of the agreement as they had understood it. It wasn't the future they wanted. They had gained a great deal of confidence and trust in Jesus. And now he said he was leaving. And then he looked at him and he said something that's almost impossible to understand. He said, it's better for you if I go away, because if I do, I'll send you another comforter. And he'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll guide you into all truth. And if that was true for Peter and James and John and the Marys and the rest of the crew that were with Jesus, I believe it's true for you and me that the Holy Spirit present with us is the fullest possible provision that God can make for our lives. And I I just think we have had so much. We've been able to secure our futures on our own and imagine that we can navigate the world around us. We haven't had to be that dependent upon the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And a part of the opportunity we have these days is to begin to say to him in a quiet, gentle way, you're welcome in my life. I want to learn to recognize your voice. I want to cooperate with your promptings. I will follow your lead. If we will do that, I think we will find a tremendous comfort in the midst of the confusion. Amen. How should Christians respond to the rising threat of immorality, which uh, threatens to overwhelm many So they choose simply to disconnect altogether. If I'm unaware of what's happening, I won't be impacted by it, nor will I be called upon to do anything about it. Wow. Well, I think our assignment to be salt and light is unyielding, but sometimes we get confused about where that light needs to shine. I think it starts at our kitchen table. I think if we will bring our biblical perspective home and begin to talk about it with the people where we have influence closest to us, and then we'll have the courage to have that conversation with the people that we spend our discretionary time with, or perhaps at the ball fields and when we're with our children at the soccer games, that we'll find there are plenty of opportunities to discuss our biblical worldview. Um, It just takes courage. The hardest place in the world for me to be a Christ follower is at home. I can get on a plane and go to another country, and I'm a hero for Jesus. But living that faith out with my neighbors and the people that I'm doing life with is it takes determination and focus but that's the place I think God will honor it and bring the change. We've got to bring our faith back to the kitchen table and tell one another the truth and help one another forward. And I believe God will bring about the outcomes we need. Are there pagan religious practices that we've unwittingly allowed to sort of take root in our personal and family lives? Is that a challenge for us? Absolutely. We've sacrificed 60 million of our children. 
We've allowed family to be redefined. We've redefined marriage. We have trouble identifying gender. Um, all of those seem almost beyond imagination, but they're as real within the church as they are without. And we've got to come back and begin to practice the truth of the Word of God as we know it. It's not that complicated. It's just not always easy. And we're going to have to have the courage to say, God, God was the one that designed sex. He's not a prude. He gave us a context in which it will bring the very best to human beings. And outside of that context, it's destructive. And we're going to have to have the courage to trust him and begin to be obedient to him and stop acting as if he didn't mean what he said. The truth isn't really a mystery to us. It's just been inconvenient. And so now it's time for the church to come back in humility and repent and begin to practice the truth that we understand. You write about in one of your chapters, the path of the coming storm. Uh, there are challenging uh, challenges that are coming that will exceed what we're experiencing today. Can you talk a little bit about what we might anticipate? And if we are um, being led by the Holy Spirit, if we are committed to, to God's word, if we take the, the Lord's Prayer seriously, uh, how we might respond and, as your subtitle suggests, flourish? Well, I think if you have the courage to open your eyes and to listen, we can recognize a pretty rapid deterioration around us. We're selecting people to some of the most influential places in our nation, and they're reluctant to define what a woman is. That's not really a complex, complex question. Uh, in recent days, that we've had a, an FBI raid or search of a former president's home. Um, I, I've watched. I've been around long enough to know that we've had a whole lot of elected officials who have been involved in a whole lot of questionable things, but we've never seen a response mm-hmm. like this. We're seeing of politics in ways that are new to us. We have a border that we won't enforce. You can't survive as a sovereign nation if you don't enforce your borders. I mean, you you don't have to look very far to see behaviors that are beyond troubling. They threaten our existence. And again, I think we have to understand where the solution is going to come from. They're not going to originate with a politician or a political party. The solution is going to come from God, so that the response has to begin in the hearts of God's people. So rather than be angry or critical or judgmental, I believe it's time for us to humble ourselves and begin to bow our heads and talk to the Lord in ways with a greater determination than we have in recent years. And I believe we will see God respond. Absolutely. You make the point that it's important in times of tribulation to know and to tell your Jesus story. Some of us are, quite frankly, a little bit ashamed to tell our story. We call it something else, but we're very reluctant to share it out of fear that we're going to be rejected or ridiculed or any number of things. Why is it important, especially for us, to tell our stories, which are ours, they they can't really be disputed by someone who hasn't had that same experience. Why is it so important for us to at least begin there to tell the story of our relationship, our walk with Jesus? Well, your observation is exactly correct. It's your story. And it's your reality. It's your truth. We hear your truth celebrated just about everywhere we listen these days. And as Christ followers, we need the courage to be willing to share what God has done in our life. We've had a a mistaken either impression or goal that the church is not the Hall of Fame of Christianity. We don't gather in our churches on the weekends because we're perfect. In fact, quite the opposite is true. We're a triage unit. Mm -hmm. We come to church broken and wounded, and we limp in. And we stand together in community and invite the presence of God to begin the process of healing and restoration and deliverance. And everybody's welcome. People say to me, Pastor, I don't want to go to church. There's so many hypocrites. 
And I usually answer the same way. Well, we've got room for one more. Come on, we'll squeeze you in. <laughs> because we all start in that broken condition. Yes. And there's no shame in acknowledging that. The, the, the weakness or the failure comes when we pretend that we don't need God's help. And that's uh, certainly the challenge for us. We're talking with Pastor Alan Jackson. We'll continue our conversation in a moment. So do stay with us. His latest book is simply titled Big Trouble Ahead. Yeah, I think we get that. A real plan for flourishing in a time of fear and deception. Now that, that is a message we'd so desperately need to hear. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're talking with Pastor Alan Jackson. He, along with his wife, lived near Nashville, Tennessee, where he served as senior pastor at World Outreach Church since 1989. Pastor Jackson is going to be the speaker at the Pastor's Appreciation Breakfast here in the, the Portland metro area, November the 3rd. So we'll uh, be giving you more details about that as well. Again, his book is titled Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. Uh, let me ask you what Bible passages you recommend for those who fear the coming tribulation and how we can keep our eyes on the prize. It's so tempting to focus on what's going on uh, on this earthly plane without looking up and remembering the context, the eternal context within which uh, we are experiencing life here on earth. Well, I think people being frightened is normal. You know, in, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of a storm, it's unsettling. And we're certainly walking through a storm. One of my favorite habits these days is to take a chapter from the book of Proverbs that deal, corresponds with the date. And then I choose a verse for that day, a promise out of that chapter that seems to bring me hope in the midst of the storm. It gives me something to think about on a daily basis other than the latest headlines. One suggestion I would make would spend more time reading your Bible than you read watching the news. Mm. I tend the news a day, and you can get an overview of what's happening. You spend too much more time than that on the Internet chasing down your favorite conspiracy theory, and it starts to pollute your heart no matter which side of the equation you're on. Spend more time thinking about what God has told us he will do and he is doing than spending your time listening to what's going on. You can stay abreast of current events with a pretty minimal investment of time, and I'm not exactly sure which media outlet we trust anyway. I mean, one of the casualties in this season has been trust from the CDC to the FBI to the WHO to a whole host of alphabet organizations. We're not sure which message is trustworthy any longer. But God's word is still steadfast, and I believe we can trust him. Mm. I appreciate that in that chapter you offer Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For when, uh, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places." We have um, been given the the uh, promise of of heaven, the promise of victory, the promise of the return of Christ that can so easily be lost in uh, our being overwhelmed by events that are occurring uh, close to home. And you've described so well how we can um, saturate ourselves in that uh, that truth where whatever the source might be to the neglect of God's word. It's an easy easy, you know, trap to step into. And it takes a bit more discipline to keep our focus on the Lord. But Hebrews 12 says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. 
And I think we can, we're encouraged to fix our attention on him, to use him as a model. And I think we have to keep our focus on there's something better for us. It's true that some of the systems in our present world order are shaking violently. And I think some of them are going to collapse. I don't think the, the debt structure we're carrying as a nation is sustainable. We can't be $30 trillion in debt and just continue to add trillions of dollars because we want to hand out more money. The, the government doesn't have money. They just spend hours. And we're going to have to create either we're going to have to create something to compensate for that debt. So I suspect we're going to see some of the systems that we're familiar with collapse. But that doesn't diminish God's care, protection or provision for our lives. And we'll have to have the discipline to keep our attention focused upon him. If he could deliver the Israelites from the, the brick pits of slavery in Egypt and provide for them in the Negev wilderness, I checked my history. I don't believe Costco was open yet or <laughs> Sam's when the Israelites were making their way through the Negev. And yet God fed them every day and provided water they needed and the clothing they needed and the medical care they needed. I'm pretty confident he can take care of us in the 21st century. You have a chapter titled Stand and Be Counted, that we need to be ready to stand. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like in the challenging season we find ourselves in and with big trouble ahead? Yes, I can talk about standing. You know, if you use if you don't use a muscle that atrophies, if you break your arm and they put a cast on it, and they take that cast off in six weeks, your arm looks different. Well, the the, the contemporary church in our nation We've had so much freedom and so much liberty. We've, we really haven't had to stand too much. So I think those muscles have atrophied. And when you start to use muscles you haven't used before, it's not a pleasant experience. You, you get tired very quickly, and then you get sore, and they scream at you not to do that anymore. And I think we're enduring a little bit of that right now as a church. We haven't really had to stand up. We haven't had to be courageous. We haven't had to be particularly bold. We've learned how to retreat, and we've learned how to yield territory. And now we're having to walk back into the public schools and into the courtrooms and the classrooms and the places and say, our our faith belongs here, too. And that's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel normal. It's not our habit. But I also believe we can do it in love and we can do it with boldness. If Peter and John could stand before the Sanhedrin, the group of people that orchestrated Jesus' execution, and they could say to them, you crucified the Lord of glory. And we will not stop saying that in this city or wherever they give us the opportunity. And they did that facing threats and imprisonment. Then surely the 21st century, we can find a way to say we believe Jesus is Lord, that his message and his ministry is unique, and that he will bring good things to your life. Now, not everybody will cheer for us when we do that. But I believe we can strengthen those muscles and we can begin to stand in a way that will bring God's blessings to our children and our grandchildren. You write in your chapter, um, Stand and Be Counted, I do not want him to see me on that day and say, oh, it's you. I want him to greet me with a smile and say, welcome and well done. We all long for that, but don't necessarily want to do what's necessary in order to do um, what he's calling us to do. And again, it's it's out of fear. And I, I'm so grateful that your book, The Big uh, Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing, not only points out the challenges that we'll face, but how we can do so in a way that's honoring to him and that we won't just survive, but we'll thrive and flourish. That's what God's intention is for us. Absolutely. And to the people who are afraid, you know, I would say you can do courageous things and be afraid. 
we don't have to have a complete absence of fear. We just have to be determined not to let fear dictate our decisions. We can, there's a, you know, there's many things that can help us overcome fear. Trust is really essential. We gain trust in God and our fear diminishes. Our love for the people around us is more powerful than the fear we feel that holds us back. So we want to start to look for those things that give us the energy and the enthusiasm to diminish the impact of fear. And then we start to act in a far more courageous way. I believe there's tremendous courage in the hearts of God's people. Mm -hmm. We haven't had permission to give expression to it. Well, today is the is the day. Um, Pastor, Pastor Jackson, so appreciative of the book. And we are looking forward to your coming here to the Portland metro area um, this fall. And thank you so much for taking the time to uh, talk with us here today. Well, thank you, Georgina, for everything you're doing to encourage Christians and to strengthen the church. It makes a tremendous difference. Thank you so much. Again, Pastor Alan Jackson, the title of his book, Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. I wanted to close with something of a prayer, he adds uh, at the close of the book. Heavenly Father, you are the creator of all things. You are Lord of the past, the present, and the future. You see the end from the beginning. I am humbled that you care about the details of our lives and have prepared a future for each one of us. I thank you that you have begun to awaken us to this most unique season. You are giving us perception, insight, and understanding. You are giving us ears that can hear and hearts that can receive in ways that seemed beyond us not long ago. Lord, we choose to turn our attention and our focus to you. You are our foundation and our strong tower. You are our deliverer and our hope. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been delivered out of a hand, out of the hand of the enemy. He has no power or authority over us, and we can rest completely in your watchful care. Holy Spirit, continue to give us the awareness and discernment we need. Teach us to encourage and strengthen one another. Thank you for choosing us to stand for you in this time and place. We want you, we want to say yes to you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and body. May you be pleased with us and welcome us with joy on that great day. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, the book, Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception, published by Thomas Nelson. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Victor Davis Hanson, one of my favorite columnists, wrote a piece titled The Thinnest Veneer of Civilization, in which he points out that civilization is fragile. It hinges on ensuring the stuff of life, to be able to eat, to move about, to have shelter, to be free from state or tribal coercion, to be secure abroad and safe at home. Only that allows cultures to be freed from the daily drudgery of merely surviving. Civilization alone permits humans to pursue sophisticated scientific research, the arts, and the finer aspects of culture. So the great achievement of Western civilization, consensual government, individual freedom, rationalism, and in partnership with a religious belief, free market economics, the constant self-critique and audit, was to liberate people from daily worry over state violence, random crime, famine, and an often unforgiving nature. But so often the resulting leisure and affluence instead diluted arrogant Western societies into thinking that modern man no longer needed to worry about the fruits of civilization he took to be his elemental birthright. And as a result, the once prosperous Greek city-state, Roman Empire, Renaissance republics, and European democracies of the 1930s imploded 
as civilization went headlong in reversal. We in modern Western world are now facing just such a crisis. We talk grandly about the globalized Great Reset. We blindly accept the faddish New Green Deal. We virtue signal about defunding the police. We merely shrug up, uh, shrug off open borders. And we brag about banning fertilizers and pesticides, outlawing the internal combustion engine and discounting Armageddon in the nuclear age. As if on autopilot, we have already reached utopia. But meanwhile... Westerners are systematically destroying the very elements of our civilization that permitted such fantasies in the first place. Take fuel. Europeans arrogantly lectured the world that they no longer need traditional fuels, so they shut down nuclear power plants. They stopped drilling for oil and gas, and they banned coal. What followed was a dystopian nightmare. Europeans, rather, will burn dirty wood this winter as their civilization reverts from postmodern abundance to postmodern survival. The Biden administration ossified oil fields. It canceled new federal oil and gas leases. It stopped pipeline construction and hectored investors to shun fossil fuels. When scarcity naturally followed, fuel prices soared. The middle class has now mortgaged its upward mobility to ensure that it might afford gasoline, heating oil and skyrocketing electricity. The duty of the Pentagon is to keep Americans safe by deterring enemies, reassuring allies and winning over neutrals. It's not to hector soldiers based on their race. It's not to indoctrinate recruits in the woke agenda. It's not to become a partisan political force. The result of those suicidal Pentagon detours is a fiasco in Afghanistan, the aggression of Vladimir Putin's Russia, the new bellicosity of China, and the loud threats of rogue regimes like Iran. At home, the Biden administration inexplicably destroyed the southern border as if civilized nations of the past never needed such boundaries. Utter chaos has followed. Three million migrants have poured into the United States. And while some cross over clandestinely, others clear border stations without an adequate audit and largely without skills, high school diplomas or capital. The streets of our cities are anarchical and by intent. Defunding the police, emptied the jails, and destroying the criminal justice system unleashed a wave of criminals. It's now open season on the weak and the innocent. America is racing backward into the 19th century Wild West. Predators maim, kill, and rob with impunity. Felons correctly conclude that bankrupt postmodern critical legal theory will ensure them exemption from punishment. Few Americans know anything about agriculture except to expect limitless supplies of inexpensive, safe, and nutritious food at their beck and call. But that entitlement for 330 million hungry mouths requires massive water projects and new dams and reservoirs. Farmers rely on steady supplies of fertilizer, fuels and chemicals. Take away that support as green nihilists are attempting and millions will soon go hungry as they have since the dawn of civilization. Perhaps nearly a million homeless now live on the streets of America. Our major cities have turned medieval with their open sewers, garbage strewn sidewalks and violent vagrants. So we are in a great experiment in which regressive progressivism discounts all the institutions and the methodologies of the past that have guaranteed a safe, affluent, well-fed and sheltered America. Instead, we arrogantly are reverting to a new feudalism as the wealthy elite, terrified of what they have wrought, selfishly retreat to their private keeps. But the rest who suffer the consequence of elite flirtations with nihilism cannot even afford food, shelter and fuel. And they now feel unsafe, both as individuals and as Americans. As we suffer self-inflicted mass looting, random street violence, hyperinflation, a non-existent border, unaffordable fuel, and a collapsed military, 
America will come to appreciate just how thin is the veneer of their civilization. When stripped away, we are relearning that what lies just beneath is utterly terrifying. It is such a an accurate portrait of where we are devolving to, the things that we are giving up, in the interest of, well, those who believe they know better for the general public. And this thin veneer and thinning veneer of civilization is at risk. I always appreciate Victor Davis Hanson when he writes about modern Western culture, the modern Western world, and what we're now facing, which is, um, well, something of a crisis. And again, putting it in the context of broader history, the once prosperous Greek city-state, they never would have imagined an end would come. The Roman Empire, Renaissance republics, and European democracies of the 1930s imploded as civilization went headlong in reverse. And that is where the Western, modern Western world today, uh, where we're headed and what we are now facing. But it is uh, possible to right the great uh, ship of state, uh, but time is uh, is running out. And we must be willing to be informed and to take a, a, our place at the ballot box and in other forums where we have an opportunity to influence and to think through the consequence of much of what is being suggested is in our best interest. It is in, indeed a sad day. Well, in uh, in our last couple of moments, I want to talk a little bit about, well, what happened on this day in history. On this day in history, 1774, the first Continental Congress adjourns in Philadelphia. 1825, the Erie Canal opens in upstate New York, connecting Lake Erie and the Hudson River. 1881, the gunfight at the OK Corral takes place in Tombstone, Arizona, as Wyatt Earp, his two brothers, and Doc Holliday confront Ike Clanton, the gang. Three members of Clanton's gang are killed. Earp's brother and Holliday are wounded. 1944, the World War II Battle of Leyte Gulf ends in a major Allied victory over Japanese forces whose naval capabilities are badly crippled. 1949, President Harry S. Truman signs a measure raising the minimum wage from 40 to 75 cents an hour. 1965, the Beatles receive MBE medals as members of the most excellent order of the British Empire from Queen Elizabeth II at Buckingham Palace. 1980, Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Navon, he becomes the first Israeli head of state to visit Egypt. 1984, baby Faye, a newborn with a severe heart defect, is given the heart of a baboon in an experimental transplant in Loma Linda, California. Baby Faye would live 21 days with the animal heart. 2000, the New York Yankees become the first team in more than a quarter century to win three straight World Series championships, beating the New York Mets 4-2 in Game 5 of their Subway Series. 2001, President George W. Bush signs the USA Patriot Act, giving authorities unprecedented ability to search, seize, detain, and eavesdrop in their pursuit of possible terrorists. 2009, Bill Cosby receives the 12th annual Mark Twain Prize for American Humor during a salute at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. 2018, federal authorities capture a Florida man with a criminal history and accused him of sending at least 13 mail bombs to prominent Democrats. Cesar Serac uh, would be sentenced to 20 years in prison by a judge who concluded that the bombs were purposely designed not to explode. 2018, the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Boston Red Sox take the field for what would become the longest World Series game in history, an 18-inning marathon lasting 7 hours and 20 minutes. The Red Sox win 3-2 to two on a home run by Mac, Max Muncy. My guess is James Blend 
saw it and knows all about it. All right. We are out of time. I hope you'll join us here tomorrow. I want to thank James Blinn for producing and engineering today's program. Sam Mopping for doing the remainder of the engineering of today's program. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.